Ever wonder what history's most famous and infamous would say if you asked them for their side of the story? Well, here's your chance. I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. In this dramatized series based on historical events, we resurrect some of the world's most notable figures. And in the world of football, there's a lot to choose from. In this episode, we meet Andres Escobar, the Colombian football player who appeared to have been born under a lucky star until he made a mistake in the 1994 World Cup that would cost him his life. Through his story, we will also learn about the other Escobar, the drug lord who financed the rise of Colombian football in the 1980s and 90s, and how their lives intertwined with the rise of what came to be known as narco football. Fans nicknamed Andres Escobar the gentleman for the sportsmanship he showed on the pitch. But in hindsight, it's hard to imagine how any footballer, no matter how humble, could have escaped the violence that was the Colombian cocaine trade of the 1990s. Hindsight, you've heard of them. Now it's time you hear from them. It is June 23, 1994, and we're in California. Colombia are playing their second match in the group stage of the World Cup. It is here where Andres Escobar will make the biggest mistake of his life, a deadly one. The team's already lost their first match. If they lose to the United States, they're essentially out of the tournament. A lot on the line for Colombia here. A lot on the line here. A lot indeed. The pressure was on, and it was getting to them including Andres Escobar. And Colombia score on their own goal! Especially Andres Escobar. The Colombian defender had stretched out his leg to block a dangerous cross from an American player, but in doing so, he accidentally kicked the ball straight into the back of his own net. And the United States reap the benefit. They now lead Colombia 1-0. My God, what have I done? I lay there on the pitch, my hands holding my head, knowing the whole world was watching. Oh, what a disgrace for Colombia's star defender, Andres Escobar. I finally stood up. I had to be positive, move on, make the next play. It was only the first half. We could still win. At least I had hope we could. But my teammates' faces were full of worry. I looked at our manager. He looked as if he might cry for the second time that day. We had to win. Colombia didn't just have to win to save face. They'd received death threats, and they knew they had to win to save their own lives. Such was the life of a football hero in Colombia in those days, of drugs, money, and violence. Such was the life of Andres Escobar, although it didn't start out that way. I was born on March 13, 1967, in the city of Medellin, Colombia. It's in the Andes Mountains. Our city was all hills and valleys. The poor, and there were plenty of them, lived in slums in the valleys. We lived in the neighborhood of Calasanz. My father was a banker and was able to give my family, 
my mother, my older brother Santiago, and my sister Maria Esther, and me, a good life, a middle-class life. <laughs> I had the best mother in the world. Her name was Beatriz. You know what Beatriz means in Latin? Brings joy. That was her. Some of my earliest memories are of me with my mother at church. We went every day. Glory to God. My parents sent us to good schools. I was grateful and worked hard for good grades. And, of course, I played football. Yes, I'm coming. Just tying my boots. Everybody played football when I was growing up. This was Colombia. Rich, poor, from the hills or the slums. Everyone played. But I was obsessed. <laughs> I played for the school team. The coach just said I was a natural. I don't know about that, but I did have a knack for controlling the ball. Coach, is this right? Yes, I am using my left foot. Being left-footed allowed Andres to initiate the game from the back. It was an advantage he excelled at as a defender later in his career. Even at the age of 10, I practiced and practiced. I was what you call a technical player. Technical players excel at dribbling, passing, and shooting. They can make plays happen all over the pitch and often play more than one position. This is different from tactical players who excel at the overall game strategy. A good team has a mix of both. I've always liked being a defender, but in those early years, I also liked to attack and to score. I'll play as a striker, then switch back to defender. Want to try that play we talked about? I've been working on my headwork. When we couldn't get to a field, we played right in the street. The goalposts are those two cars, yes? There'd be something like 10 of us kids and teenagers playing football in between parked cars and through narrow alleyways. It's funny how the chaos of the street actually taught us control. Football was a national obsession in Colombia a point of pride intertwined with the country's often violent history. But that didn't show up in international results. After a decade of civil war in the 1950s, Colombia qualified for the World Cup in 1962. But it wasn't until the 1980s that Colombian football began to be recognized. Andres Escobar would be part of that, as would the other Escobar, Pablo Escobar one of the most powerful drug lords in history. They weren't related, but they shared the same hometown, Medigen. Their paths were already running in parallel when the footballer was a teenager, and they would cross again before too long. By the time I was 16, I was seriously considering a career in football, just like my older brother Santiago. He played for a local team in Medellin, the Atlético Nacional. After the games, my brother and I would make our way down from the stadium near our house. Sometimes we drove through the slums. I thank God for our blessings, brother. Look at this. Shacks for homes. No trees. I don't think they even have electricity. But look at that pitch. Lots of light there. They don't have much here, but they have football. Back then, in the mid-1980s, there must have been a good dirt pitch in every poor neighborhood in Medellin. They were flat and kept clean. Lines were painted on the ground and they had proper nets and lights. 
Kids would show up to playing bare feet, but there were good quality boots waiting for them. The person behind many of those pitches in Medellin in the 1980s was none other than the king of cocaine, Pablo Escobar. He was almost 20 years older than Andres and had already become a billionaire slinging drugs, an economy so powerful that it could buy the complicity of the government. Officials simply looked the other way while the country fed Americans' growing appetite for the white powder. Pablo Escobar was violent, but he was also considered a bit of a Robin Hood by many people in Medellin. He built hospitals and schools, and as an avid football fan, he funded training for thousands of poor young players. Players who, unlike Andres, didn't have many choices in life. My mother always encouraged me to follow my dreams. I had a good education, good grades, I had options. But if my dream was to be like my brother Santiago and play football, then I'm sure she wanted that too. So there I was, a young man just starting out, excited about my future when my mother got sick. It was cancer, and there wasn't much the doctors could do. The light was about to go out of my life. I was 18 when she died. I was devastated, but I stayed calm. This was how I always dealt with stress, calm and collected. Losing her was hard, but I had my fate and somehow I still felt I was blessed. I graduated from high school the year my mother died, in 1985. My family encouraged me to stick with my dream to play football. And so I did. Hello, my name is Andres Escobar. I'm here for the tryouts. I tried out for the Medellin team, Atlético Nacional, the next year, and they accepted me. Well, just to train with them, not playing any games. It was an honor nonetheless. As much as I missed my mother, I knew I had to put my grief aside. I also had to make some changes. Andres was a young man of faith who worked hard and helped others. He lived an orderly life, a gentleman with good habits. He went to bed early, trained every day, and went to mass every week. In a world where the drug cartel culture was on the rise, Andres Escobar only had one vice, junk food. Chips, candy, chocolate, I could have lived on that. My brother was always telling me I needed to eat healthy to be an athlete, but junk food was a hard habit to kick. <laughs> His diet was so bad that the teenager developed anemia. He finally took action, and that made all the difference in how he played. I definitely became a better player after that. I also practiced and practiced. I started off as a striker. I learned a lot from my school coaches and from the tricks I picked up playing on the streets. I got really good at using my head. But I really found my comfort zone in the midfield and on defense. I was never a big scorer. I defended the net and set up plays from there. That was my strength. The Atletico Nacional manager, Francisco Maturana, started to notice Andres more and more during those training sessions in 1986. That August, Maturana called on him to play part of a match. I was so nervous before entering the pitch. I was so young for such a big responsibility. I did my best. 
His highly technical play and calm, cool demeanor were gaining Maturana's deepening respect. I really hoped I had impressed him in that game. I wanted that starting lineup position so bad. Pacho, that's what we called Francisco Maturana, finally gave me my chance. Andres, this is your time. You have the technical qualities, the vision for the game, and you have a lot of class. It's time. I played in the starting lineup for the first time with Atletico Nacional in 1987. I was 20 years old. Keep your eye on the ball. Here it comes. He was a natural leader as a defender, setting up plays that gave the others glory of the goal. Clear it out. Get to the strikers. Yes! We were a team. Their glory was my glory. Our glory. After the match, I remember feeling, wow, now I'm really part of this team. Yeah, he is. How do you feel? This was Luis Chonto Herrera, a defender like me. He was a good man. He became a good friend. I feel very proud and grateful. I hope my father got to watch from home. How about you? I hope so, too. I saved my family a TV, but maybe they didn't have power. Chonto was from a poor family. If it hadn't been for drug lords like Pablo Escobar, he might never have had a chance to play. Pablo Escobar's involvement with football in Medellin went much deeper than just building pitches in poor neighborhoods. By the time Andres made the starting lineup, Pablo was the unofficial owner of Atletico Nacional. Why, you may ask? Well, organized crime unofficially owns all kinds of businesses to clean their dirty money, and football moves a lot of cash, so it was an excellent opportunity to launder money. Ticket sales were all in cash, and the players' transfer fees were easy to manipulate. Drug lords all over Colombia got into the game. Dirty money was being laundered by the country's national obsession. People started calling it narco football. My teammates and I spent a lot of time on the road, traveling on buses from one stadium to another in South America. Chonto told me all about what it was like to be one of Pablo's players when they were growing up. There were tournaments in the slums, others. Whole communities forgot their words. I was very poor, but on the field, we were important and lived a perfect world. But the rest of Pablo Escobar's world was far from perfect. His way of handling problems was silver or lead, bribes or bullets. The supplied to everyone, rival drug lords, police, and government officials. It's estimated he was directly responsible for around 4,000 murders during the 1980s and early 1990s. This was the owner of Atletico Nacional, the cocaine king known as El Patron, the boss. We had to do what the boss said. He had this huge house out in the country with a full-size football pitch. He'd sent for us so we could play for him. He gave us cars, cash, and jewelry for our girlfriends. He treated us like friends, but also a bit like entertainment. He'd gamble on the games. He sat there with other cartel bosses, placing bets with enough money to feed a family for a year. Here we are. The boss says he's going to ruffle off a truck to one of you today. What's the matter, Andres? 
This whole thing makes me uncomfortable, Pacho. Oh, wait. Here he comes. Uh, hello, Mr. Escobar. I am also Mr. Escobar. <laughs> oh, you'd like to have a match? Okay. Let's go, my friends. Some may wonder why Andres, who came from a relatively well-to-do family, didn't do more to avoid dealing with the drug lord. He had choices that his teammates didn't. But he loved to play, and to leave the world of narco football would have meant leaving Colombian football altogether, which Andres wasn't ready to do. Not yet, anyway. Pacho became the manager for Colombia's national team. He signed me and a bunch of my Atlético Nacional teammates up in 1988. The prize was the 1990 World Cup. The road to the Cup was exciting. In one of our first games, we played against England at Wembley Stadium. It was easy to remember that match. I scored my first international goal there. Okay, Andres. Focus. Just watch that ball. Use your head. Here it comes. You can do this. Goal for Colombia. And that's a header from Andres Escobar. I liked using my head. That was his first goal for Colombia in international play. And his last. Although he had no way of knowing that then. No one did. For now, fans at Wembley started talking about Colombia's players like midfield genius Carlos El Pepe Valderrama with his trademark blonde mass of curly hair, goalkeeper René Higuita with his body-bending scorpion kick, and of course the tall, classy, technical defender named Andres Escobar, who would become team captain. Everyone liked and respected him. People soon started calling Andres the gentleman of football. By 1989, more than two years into my professional career, we achieved what no one would have thought possible for a Colombian team. We made the finals for the Libertadores Cup, the highest competition for clubs in South America. There was so much public interest in the match. The final against Paraguay's Olimpia had to be held in the capital, Bogotá, because our stadium in Medellín was too small. We tied, which meant that the champion would be decided by a penalty shootout. I took the first shot. Yes! In the end, nine shots had to be taken to decide the match. The winner came from my friend, Leonel Alvarez. Leonel! See! Si, See! Si, we are the best in South America now! Ha ha! Ah, Pacho! What do you think about that? I think the boss is going to be happy. And I am sure he's going to want to see us. I guess the look on my face changed because Pacho said, I understand your discomfort with this, Andres. I really do. But this money makes a big difference. We have a chance to make a real impact on the world of football as well as on Colombia. And I want you to be part of that. In November 1989, Atletico Nacional played their biggest rival, America de Cali. They were owned by the Cali cartel, Pablo Escobar's biggest rival. Atletico were favored to win, but one of the referees nullified one of their goals, and Atletico lost. 
People used to bet on our games, so everyone thought the Cali cartel bought off the referee. I remember the look of absolute fury on Pablo Escobar's face when I looked up at him in the stands. The name of the referee was Alvaro Ortega. He was shot and killed a short time later outside a hotel in Medellin. Football officials started to refuse to arbitrate matches. The Copa America Championship of 1989 had to be cancelled. I was anxious and worried, but I knew I could do nothing. After all, Pablo Escobar was el patrón. So I just tried to live the best I could in my own way. Ah, hello, little one. Any trouble with the cars today? There was a little girl, maybe six or seven, who watched our cars at the stadium parking lot in Medellín. She was a little like security. She would watch our cars in exchange for a bit of money to help her family. Oh, no. Is something wrong? Your face is so swollen. Oh, you poor thing. Come with me. She looked like she was in so much pain. But I knew just who could help. An angel named Pamela. Pamela, I have a patient for you. Pamela was my fiancé. She was beautiful and kind. And lucky for this little girl, a dentist. I was so in love with Pamela. Buenos dias. You deliver to Medellin? Yes? Excellent. I will take a dozen of the pink roses, please. Every time the team went on the road, I'd find a florist and send Pamela flowers. Do you have a card? Thank you. I feel very happy to share my life with you. Love, Andres. I always had a picture of her with me. I kept it in my Bible, alongside my favorite photo of my mother, my two angels. Pamela and I planned to marry in a couple of years, in 1994. I really did feel so very blessed. Andres was beginning to bask in the glow of the golden generation in Colombian football. But he'd only get four years of it. I missed Pamela, of course. But I was never lonely on the road. I had too much fun with my teammates. I liked to joke around a lot. And talk and talk into the night. Open the door, Lionel. I know you're awake. I won't stay long, I promise. Maybe a couple of hours and then I would let you sleep. We had so much to look forward to. Colombia qualified for the 1990 World Cup. We were going to Italy. I can't believe we are standing here, my friends. It was the first time in nearly 30 years that Colombia had qualified for the World Cup. Our match against the United Arab Emirates was such a joy. Come on, Carlos. Kick to the other Carlos. Yes, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Come on, Carlos. Show the world what you can do. Goal! We won, but then lost against Yugoslavia. We tied against West Germany and qualified for the round of 16, the knockout stage. Next up, Cameroon. Come on, guys. It's huddle time. The forwards can't break through. What do you think, Pacho? Well, Cameroon can't break through either. You're evenly matched, that's for sure. 
no score and the time is almost up. It's going to go into extra time. He was right. We went into extra time. Just hold the line of defense. Ah, no! It's something to see. A line of star strikers coming at you down the field like that. But I knew what I was doing. Plus, my height was an advantage when I was one-on-one -on -one with another player. But Cameroon was on fire that day. They scored. And then scored again. They beat us 2-1. to one. We were out of the tournament. But we were still very proud. Right after we left the World Cup, I got a chance to play for a Swiss team. I was there for six months. I got to play eight matches in the starting lineup for Berner Sport Club Young Boys. It was a great experience. But back home in Colombia, there were problems. Pablo Escobar didn't just want to be the boss of Medellin. He reportedly wanted to be the boss of the whole country. His main goal? Force the government to end its extradition treaty with the United States, which wanted to arrest Pablo Escobar and put him on trial in the U.S. for murder and cocaine smuggling. The fight cost thousands of lives, including assassinations of high-level officials, judges, lawyers, even the justice minister. No one was safe. Focus tonight is Colombia itself. Where the war against drugs is very much a war. And the drug lords are no longer invincible. Pamela? Yes, I know. It's so bad. They have it on the news here, too. I cannot believe it. A country with so many problems. What can a footballer do? What can I do to help? I had always dreamed of playing in Europe, but Colombia was my home. And it was time to go back. In 1991, things looked as if they might be calming down in Colombia. Pablo Escobar bought off enough officials that Colombia ended the extradition treaty with the U.S. In a show of what he called good faith, the drug lord surrendered to Colombian authorities in a notorious deal that showed just how powerful he was. Pablo Escobar would serve his time in a prison of his own luxurious design. The prison was called El Catedral, but this was no prison. This was a mansion overlooking Medellin. I don't want to go, Pamela, but I have to. Pablo Escobar still controlled Atletico, and I was a star player. And by now, the captain of the Colombian national team. I had to go. It would look bad if I didn't. Anyway, refusal wasn't an option. El Catedral sat on top of a hill. You could see all of Medellin from up there. Patron, thank you for the hospitality. I felt the words catch in my throat. Helicopters would fly overhead, taking pictures as they played for El Patron. By this time in 1992, the whole world knew Pablo Escobar was the real owner of Atletico Nacional. But also around the same time, Pablo Escobar's deal with the government fell apart after officials found out he had had two of his lieutenants tortured and murdered at La Catedral. Pablo went on the run. It took more than a year for the authorities to track him down. 
He was killed in a shootout with police at the end of 1993. Pablo Escobar's death only brought more bad news and danger. Criminal factions are turning on each other and expanding into crimes previously only possible with permission from the cartel kingpin himself. Kidnappings are especially on the rise. All kinds of people were being abducted. People started to keep money for ransoms, just in case. It even happened to Chonto. His baby son was kidnapped. They got him back, but still, we knew we weren't safe. But life wasn't all bad. <laughs> Pamela, look, the advertisement is finally on. I'll sign another deal next week. We will have a wedding to remember next year, my love. I was 26 years old and at the height of my game. I was the captain of a star team in the world of football. I was becoming famous and making more money from advertisements. I felt like my future with Pamela was being secured. More blessings were coming. In September of 1993, Colombia played against Argentina for the 1994 World Cup qualifiers. This was Maradona's team, the best in the world. He was out of the competition because of a drug ban, but he still shared his uh, opinions. Historically, us Argentinians are up here. He was drawing a line in the air with his finger. Then he dropped his hand a good 15 centimeters slower. And Colombia are down here. Maradona wasn't alone. Nobody really thought Colombia would beat Argentina, so it was a shock when they did. 5-0. Colombians still talk about that match, and when they do, they don't even need to mention the rival. They just say, El 5-0. We were going to the World Cup in the United States. But when I talked to Pacho after the game, the look on his face confused me. Pacho, I can't decide if you look proud or worried. What is it? Pacho Maturana understood the stakes were high. After the win over Argentina, expectations climbed out of sight. Many dangerous people would be betting on the Colombian team to win. And by the time the tournament came, there was no Pablo Escobar to temper expectations or tempers. Hello? Yes, this is him. Ah, oh, yes, of course I have time. Pamela, that was Milan. I think we're going to be making a deal. How would you like to move to Italy? I got that call just before we were off to the 1994 World Cup in California. Pamela and I were planning to get married that December. And the possibility of a fresh start, somewhere new together, felt great. And here comes the Colombian team, the team of coffee and cocaine, am I right? The American media could be rude, but we just kept our head in the game. We had a solid team. Even Brazil's Pelé said he thought Colombia could win the World Cup. In Colombia, the betting was on. The same gangs that ran the drug trade ran the illegal gambling circuits too. The Colombian team went into the World Cup as a favorite, and there was a lot of cartel money riding on the outcome. Win or lose, but especially win. We got off to a bad start. We lost to Romania in our first match. We just couldn't score. Our spirits were low and fear was keeping us down. 
Remember Chonto Herrera, the one whose son had been kidnapped? Well, after the match against Romania, he got word from home that his brother had been killed in a car crash. He didn't believe it was an accident. He wanted to go home. You must stay. The country depends on you, Chonto. I stayed up with him that night, keeping him company and keeping his spirits up. This is our one shot at the World Cup. The next match was against the United States. We sat in the dressing room waiting for Pacho to give us some encouragement before the game. But he arrived in tears. I have terrible news. Terrible. ¿Qué pasó? What's wrong? Death threats. We've all gotten death threats. Dangerous people lost a lot of money in the match against Romania. These men had dreamed of going to the World Cup and winning. The entire country of Colombia had dreamed of it. But this was not that it. This? This was a nightmare. Everyone started calling their families back in Colombia to make sure they were safe and to tell them to hide. One of the players, Barrabás Gómez, had a particularly bad game against Romania. Whoever threatened Pacho specifically warned him to pull Barrabás from the starting lineup or something bad would happen. Pacho complied. What choice did he have? Barrabás quit football that same day. Still, I had to stay positive. I was the captain after all. Don't worry, Pacho. We will win. We are blessed. I hope so, Andres. I hope so. They were right to be afraid. With Pablo Escobar dead, the team was clearly unprotected in the power vacuum he'd left behind. The king of cocaine had loved his players, but the people now running the cartels didn't share his sentiment. There was too much money on the line. As you can imagine, we were all off our game as soon as we stepped out into the stadium. And here comes Team Colombia, looking rather serious after that loss against Romania. Colombia need to win this game against Team USA, or else they'll be packing their bags sooner than they had hoped. See, see, let's keep the pressure on. Despite our fear, or maybe because of it, we came out aggressively against the US. As always, I protected our net and our goaltender. Don't worry, I've got this one, see? Cleared it. We kept up that pressure for 22 minutes, but our forwards couldn't break through. That's when it happened. The ball was in our zone. You've got this cross, Andres. Don't worry. I stretched out my body, lunging for the ball, and made contact just in front of our net. Just like I'd done a million times before. Only this time. No! Oh no! A devastating mistake by defender Andres Escobar. I still can't explain it. Instead of clearing the ball, I kicked it straight into our own net. The US would go on to add another goal before Colombia got one back in the final minute of play. And then, it was all over for Colombia. It was two to one for the United States. Technically, Colombia still had a tiny mathematical chance of making it into the next round, 
but as their fans would later say, it would have taken a miracle, and they were all out of those. Back in Medijen, Andre's nephew was watching. He turned to his mother and said, Mama, they are going to kill Andres for this. Once we were out of a competition, many of us players decided to go home, even with the death threats. My family was really worried. I know it's dangerous, Papa, but I want to go back to Colombia and face the consequences of what happened. I knew gamblers had lost a lot of money on the game, and I was more worried about the spirit of Colombians. I decided to write them a letter of apology and arranged it to have it printed in a local newspaper. Life doesn't end here. We have to go on. Life cannot end here. No matter how difficult, we must stand back up. Let us please maintain respect. My warmest regards to everyone. It's been a most amazing and rare experience. We'll see each other again soon. Because life does not end here. Ever hopeful, ever the gentleman. But despite agreeing with his teammates that they should keep a low profile, Andres Escobar not only wrote a public apology, he also decided to go for a night out in Medijen, a city with one of the highest murder rates in the world at the time. Oh, hello, Pacho. Hello, Andres. It was a good piece in the paper. But please, keep a low profile. Stay at home. The streets are dangerous. No, I must show my face to my people. It was a terrible risk, and in hindsight, a terrible decision. In the early morning hours of July 2nd, 1994, Andres went out. Thanks for tonight, my friends. This cheered me up. See you soon. And then, that's when it happened. Some guys started mocking me as I got into my car. Thanks for the all goal. <laughs> I am sorry, I know you're disappointed, but it was an honest mistake. Two of the men shouting at Andres were a pair of drug-dealing brothers, Pedro David and Santiago Gayan Henao. Both of them were aligned with rivals of the Medigen cartel, rivals of the late Pablo Escobar. An already tense situation escalated. Wait, no! <laughs> Andres died after being shot six times. The country was outraged. The government carried out one of its biggest manhunts since the search for Pablo Escobar. They tracked down three men. The two drug-dealing brothers got off scot-free. Their driver, the shooter, was sentenced to 43 years in prison. He served 11. He always insisted he didn't know he was shooting THE Andres Escobar. More than 100,000 people attended the funeral. After Escobar's death, the other players of the national team hired bodyguards. Many of them quit. You know what El Pipe said? If we have to die because of playing football, then it is not worth playing it anymore. But if I had known what would happen, would I have quit? I always thought football was such a good way of life. I thought it would bring our country peace. I really did.
Hindsight is narrated by me, Charles Dance. The series was produced by Sout Podcasts. Their team is producer and editor Tala Alisa, production coordinator Rana Dawood, editor and fact checker Omar Faris, associate producer Basant Samhunt, sound design by Taisir Kabani. This episode is written by Morgan Waters. Research and interview by Victoria Silva-Sanchez. Fact-checking by Tarak Ayub. Special thanks to Gonzalo Medina for speaking to us about the character. Andres Escobar is played by Carlos Serrato. Football commentary is played by Stephen Brunton. Extra voices played by Stephen Brunton. Danny Pardo, Marcello Trigo, Ramsey Tesdell, and Jose Leo. Voice coaching by Zayn Ganma. Recording by Revolution Recording and Voices. Additional research and fact-checking by Al Jazeera and Amaboteng. Script editing by Danilo Hawaleshka. Joe DeFrias is the executive producer of Special Project. Juan Carlos Van Meek is Al Jazeera's director of digital innovation and programming. Hindsight is a historical drama podcast. All dramatized scenes and dialogue are inspired by historical events, old interviews, and in some cases, new conversations with people close to the subject. <laughs>